0: Uh, Before I talk about anything tonight, I want to give lots of credit to a friend of mine named Matt Howell. And um, he preached a sermon on this stuff we're talking about tonight one time. And um, his stuff was so good that I have borrowed liberally from him. So if uh, he's listening, Matt, this is for you. Um, I just want to tell you that. All semester we're talking about relationships. We're talking about what what the Bible says about our relationships. What relationships look like uh, when you uh, live and exist in the kingdom of God and and all sorts of implications about this. Now, I understand that there are many of you here who would not consider yourselves Christians. And so me saying something like that is just like, I don't even know what he just said. That's okay. Um, Part of what we're doing is we're trying to present uh, the biblical picture of all kinds of relationships from friendship, uh, dating, marriage, sexuality, all this stuff. Um, to kind of bring that to light and say, isn't this beautiful? Isn't what the Bible is holding out and what is possible in and through the work of Jesus, isn't this beautiful, in fact, more beautiful than you're going to find anywhere else? And so if you're not a Christian, you're here, we are so glad, and we want you to be considering uh, what we're saying, but there's no pressure. You are on your own timeline to do that. Um, But if you want to talk about it, we would love to. Uh, We have lots of student leaders, or grab me or Emily or Joey to talk with you about that. If you are a Christian who's here, I hope that the Lord is blessing this in your life as you learn more about what the Bible says about these things. Okay, have you guys uh, seen, it's been maybe a few years now, uh, there was a Guinness beer commercial where um, a handful of uh, men, maybe my age, you know, older men, are out uh, playing wheelchair basketball. And six or eight of them, and it is a grueling uh, basketball match. And they're rolling around, they're hitting each other, they're falling over. And it's amazing, because, I mean, they're making all kinds of shots. It's really cool. And it comes to the end of the uh, the video, and the the most amazing thing happens is that all of the the players, all the men who are playing, get out of their wheelchairs except for one guy. Except for one guy, and then one of them says, you know, same time next week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're, you know, hitting each other on the butts and stuff as they walk off the court. The commercial ends with them drinking Guinness beer, and the narrator says this, dedication, loyalty, friendship, the choices we make reveal the true character of who we are. And when you realize what's happened, that... All of these guys are perfectly capable to walk around and play basketball, not in wheelchairs, and to do whatever they want. But they have come and and adopted themselves into their friend's life, brought brought themselves down in a physical sense to their friend to show him that they love him, they're for him, and that they want him to flourish and they want him to enjoy a full experience of life. When you see that happening, your allergies really start to kick up. And your your eyes start watering because you realize that there's something beautiful, there's something powerful about that kind of friendship, something disarming. And it's something that goes on inside of us, and we start to think, man, I'd want friendship like that. I'd like to know people who would do that for me. I wonder if I have that. I wonder if you have that. I wonder if... Apparently Drake's got it. Um, Is that funny, Drake? Um, Bring it back. The real thing is that, that we all long for those kind of friends. We long to have people who desire to enter into our lives the good, the bad, the joyful, the sorrowful. And I would guess that many of us not just long for that for ourselves, but we would hope that we could or would be that for others as well. Because as you know, you've lived long enough to know that there are a lot of hurting people in this world, in our lives, maybe in our families. And people need good friends. And that's what we're, getting, that's what we're talking about tonight, is the nature of real friendship. What does it mean to be a real friend to someone, a good friend? Am I that already? Or if not, what, what needs to change about me so that I might become that? Look, every... Every worthwhile relationship begins and ends with friendship. Every worthwhile relationship begins and ends with friendship. And I know you're already thinking, but Brent, what about marriage? I'm going to try and suggest to you that at the, at the heart of even the best marriage is a good friendship. Let's see if we can do that. We're going to read a selection of passages from Proverbs uh, about friendship, and then we're going to talk about them. But before we do that, uh, let me pray for us real quick. God, as we come to your Word and as we uh, sit under the teaching of it, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to be at work here. Lord, I know that there are people in this room right now who are paralyzed because of their loneliness. They've come to college and it just it hasn't worked out like maybe they thought it would or like people said it would. And they'll go back at the end of this night wondering if they have any friends, if there is anyone who would miss them. Lord, there's others of us who uh, have many friends but nobody really knows us. We're scared of what would happen if they did. And, Lord, there are others of us um, who have friends, and who want to be better friends. Lord, and wherever we are along that spectrum, whatever we need, we would ask that you would come and bring that to us tonight. We've realized that we can't we can't do this on our own. We we simply simply don't have it in us to change in the way that we need to change. So would you be so kind to to do that in us? We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Let me read these uh, collection of passages from Proverbs. Beginning right there in 1717. 17. And I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to read all the, the numbers and stuff. Uh, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who receives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend and profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Is this right or am I behind? You're, you're ahead. I'm ahead? Behind? Okay, here we go. Um, yes, two left. Uh, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. And lastly there, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. This is God's Word. The four things we're going to consider tonight, and they're in the, the handout right there, uh, are this. The nature of friendship. We're going to talk briefly about some hindrances to friendship. Thirdly, the relevance of friendship to a romantic relationship. And lastly, the power for friendship. So right there, first off, the nature of friendship. I want us to see four characteristics of what, what I think these passages are getting at in terms of what is the substance of real friendship. What is the substance of true, authentic friendship? The friendship that you desire, and the friendship that hopefully you long to give and are able to give to others. The first thing right there we see is chosen commitment. Chosen commitment. And both of those words are important, so let me start with the chosen aspect. Friendship is deliberate and intentional. And what I mean by that is that a friend differs from a sibling in this way. Uh, that first Proverbs 17, 17 is saying that your family will be there through adversity. Your family, your brother will be there in the hard times. But in some sense, it's because he's family. They, they kind of have to. Now, maybe, that has maybe maybe you have a family that has had a lot of trouble. But that is kind of at its purest form what a family means. It's people who are there for each other because they are related. They have to. But he may not like you. Your family members, the people who have to be there, they may not like you. And you may not get this deep sense of love from them. And the second proverb is is actually saying, 1824, is that a friend is actually better than a sibling. That they stick closer. And the word here is the word... Like to solder or to join to them. And it's saying that a friend voluntarily joins themselves to you. They choose to. And that means that friendship is an intentional chosen commitment. It doesn't automatically exist. And you know that. You know that if you just come to TU and and don't make any effort at making friends, if you just stay in your room uh, for the years on end, you will not have friends. They are not automatic. We choose them. There is a, there's a moving toward one another. Now, the fact that friendships are chosen, I think, is precisely why so many of us, I would probably actually say all of us, So much want to be called a best friend. Because best friend, if nothing else, is saying, I have chosen you, and you are more special to me than all of my other friends. We've got a daughter who's six, who's in first grade, and she came home crying the other day because she overheard two of her other friends, who are definitely her friends, telling each other that they were best friends. And at six years old, she was already putting the pieces together that they chose each other and they didn't choose me. And some of you at 18, 20, 22, 34, want people to say, you're my best friend. I chose you. I love you. I care for you. You are my friend. The second part of that is the commitment part. The first proverb says a friend loves at all times. 1717, a friend loves at all times. Good times, bad times, the friend is there. Friendship, therefore, is not based on convenience. It can't be. If friendship is based on convenience, then it is not a friendship. If it works like this... If it works like this, saying, oh, I'll I'll be your friend as long as it's convenient for me or as long as it's benefiting me or it's working for me, that is not true friendship. That is this thing we've been saying all along that is manifesting itself again and again. That is self-centeredness. Friendship is not, I am in this as long as it makes me feel good or as long as I'm benefiting from it, but as soon as it stops, I'm out. Friendship says, I'm in this with you. Good times, bad. Hard times brutal times, I am here with you. It's a commitment. And that's why it's so painful when real friendships break apart. It's that sticking together thing. When that bond is pulled apart, it hurts. And you know that. I don't have to convince you of that. You know what broken friendships feel like. Or when, the, when you have a friend who talks behind your back, it really hurts. And your efforts to put it away and say it's not that big of a deal, look, y'all, we all know at the end of the day that's a lie. Sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will kill you. They will paralyze you. So a friend is someone who you choose to be committed to. second thing about friendship is its commiseration. Like, man, that's a, I'm not very cheery. Um, what does that mean? What does commiseration mean? It literally means to cry with. To cry with. Proverbs 25, 20. Uh, to enter into another person's pain with them. And what that proverb is saying is that when you sing happy songs while your friend is upset, that is like going and ripping off their coat or ripping off their clothes in the middle, in the middle of the winter. When it's brutally cold out, you, you undress them and leave them to the elements. That's what it's like when, as a friend or whatever, you go to someone and you try to just cheer them up and say, Oh, that's not that big of a deal. Just be happy. It's like lobbing care packages at them over the wall and saying, like, Hope that helps. It, it's mean, it's unkind, it's disingenuous. To think that you can be happy while your best friend is sad means that you are not a friend to them. My conviction um, when I was preparing for this uh, came in strong because what I realized is that I've spent a a lot of my adult years, I'm at the age in life, I'm 34, where I've got uh, good friends who are getting divorced. Uh, from their wives, some, many of whom like I was in their weddings. And it is brutal, y'all. It's so hard. We've had friends in our community group the church. We just had a lot of people close to us go through this. And I have spent many years being kind of frustrated and, and angry at them that they're making my life so hard. Ugh! How dare you inconvenience me and make us watch your kids so y'all can go to a lawyer's appointment or or whatever, it's frustrating and what I realized in the midst of that is that to look at my friends as being a burden to me means that I'm I'm not being a friend to them at all and that the burden of true friendship means bearing with the people around you when life is hard and to cry with them, and to enter in, and to be what they need you to be. When your friends hurt, you hurt. When you're hurting, y'all, you're gonna know who your who your real friends are. It's gonna be the people that come and surround you, and they don't try to lob the care package over at you and say, "I hope you get better." Don't don't let's don't talk about it anymore. It's the people who come and sit with you. And they say, I can handle this. I'm, I'm in this with you. It's the people who stay up with you, who miss a class for you. <gasps> Not at TU. Yes, at TU. Those people are your friends. Regardless of what all the others say, those people are your friends. Are you doing that for anyone? Y'all know that I saw the movie Inside Out this summer. Um, <laughs> and I was deeply affected by it. Um, you should too, and you will be too. Uh, there's a scene in Inside Out... There's many scenes there that are beautiful. There is one scene where uh, Bing Bong, who is uh, Riley's imaginary friend, Bing Bong is amazing, and he's really sad because and heartbroken because his song-powered rocket has been relegated to the pile of of past memories, things that will never be brought about, because Riley is growing up and doesn't need the song-powered rocket anymore of her imaginary friend. And so Bing Bong is sitting on the edge of the cliff, looking into the abyss of things that have been forgotten and are no more. And he's crying. He's actually bawling. And because he's an imaginary friend, he's bawling candy. Um, That's what's coming out instead of tears. Um... And Joy, the character in the show, Joy, she comes up and she's bouncing. She's like, bing bong, bing bong, come on, we can do this. Bing bong, cheer up. And, you know, she's being Joy. And it doesn't help him at all. And here comes sadness. Phyllis was the perfect person for this from the office. Phyllis comes in and is like, she just sits with him and says, I'm sorry. You know, and she's sad with him and she just lets him cry. And after a little while, Bing Bong gets up and he's okay. Who are you in that story? Do you know that when your friends tell you their problems, they're not asking you to fix them necessarily most of the time? They just want someone to sit there with them and say, this is really hard. I'm really sorry you're going through this. And to be sad with them. Friends commiserate with one another. Thirdly, friends confront. And this is a weird one, y'all. This is not something you've probably thought through a whole lot. Because um, (laughs) we're all non-confrontational. We don't want to ruffle any feathers here. Proverbs 27, 5, and 6 says this. It's in your... Uh, handout right there. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Yo, this is paradoxical. It's saying that, that fr- uh, the friendly wounds, there are friendly wounds, and it sets those aside and says there are enemies' kisses, and it puts those opposite each other. Friendly wounds and enemies' kisses. What is the author saying here? Friendly wounds are words that your friends need to hear. There are things that your friends need you to tell about them that are painful at the time. Yet will be like a balm on dry skin in the long run. They are needed to heal. Have you ever thought that the things you say to people, the difficult things in honesty and in love... Or actually, when you say those, that's what it means to be a friend. You confront them in love. You say hard things to them. And that is not fighting against them. That is fighting for them. That's saying, I love you so much that I'm going to tell you this thing about you that I think you're oblivious to. And that that is keeping you from meaningful interactions with other people. You have to know this. Do you remember what Dumbledore said at the end of the first book about about courage? He says, look, there are all kinds of courage. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to our enemies, but just as much to stand up to our friends. And he's talking about how Neville Longbottom confronted his friends. And Dumbledore awards him ten points and Gryffindor wins. He's saying there is something beautiful and valuable that just happened here. So much so that it should be rewarded. It should. It is not easy to do this. It takes courage. And I would suggest that if you are not willing to say necessary and difficult things to your friends, then you are not being a friend. and you're not being a friend. This passage actually says you're their enemy. If you are not telling the people around you things about them that maybe they're blind to or that that they're just willfully continuing to do, if you do not bring this to their attention, you are an enemy because you are flattering them. You are kissing them and telling them functionally by your silence that they are wonderful and everything in their life is fine. Proverbs 29, 5 says, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. If you don't tell them the truth about them, you're setting a bear trap for them. You're setting them up for destruction. Um, as I already alluded to, a couple years ago, a couple weeks ago, I shared with you how my RUF campus minister from when I was at OU, he, I, I called him on the phone, or actually, no, he called me and said, Brent, I don't know how to love you anymore. What you are doing and the way you're living does not make sense to me. What is going on? That was a loving rebuke. He was saying there is something about your life that doesn't make sense. What is happening? And he did that because he loved me. At the heart of this issue of confrontation is this question. If you're going to write anything down tonight, write this down. Which do I love more, the person or the relationship? Which do I love more, the person or the relationship? And here's what I mean by that question. If you love the person more, you will temporarily... Sorry, you will risk temporary difficulty in that relationship for their sake. You will say hard things to them even knowing that... In the the short term, it may cause friction, they may be mad at you, they may walk away, they may be really, really pissed at you. But if you love the person, you are going to be committed to their good, so you will say difficult things to them. But if you love the relationship more, you won't dare say hard things. And that means this, You, you don't actually love that other person, you love the way they make you feel. You love the relationship. You love the comfort it's providing you or the place that it's kind of brought you in life. And I would suggest that you don't love them. It feels like what I'm saying is you guys all suck at this and I figured it out and you need to be like me. Not true, y'all. This is not true. (laughs) I, I struggle greatly with all of the things that I'm talking about right now. And I am leveled by these passages in the very same way as you are. Craig over here, conveniently, has been a dear friend of mine for the last ten years. And we've shared hard things with each other. It has not been easy. It has not been fun at all times. But it's it's the necessity of friendship. And there are things that I haven't shared with him that I probably should share with him. Lastly, we see about friendship that we have to confess to one another. Proverbs 28:13. This means that we don't hide the things about us that we so much want to hide. We don't hide behind what's bad. Don't, we don't hide what's bad about us. We don't deny our sin. I've said before, and I'll say it again, that Christians are people who have this. Confidence about something, about who they are, because of who God says they are. Christians are people who willingly tell on themselves with no apparent advantage, with no apparent benefit from it. That we go to our friends, family, whoever, and say, this is who I am. This is what I did to you. I'm sorry. Or this is what I'm doing in my life. I need to invite you into that for my own healing. And if I've offended you, I need to ask your forgiveness. Friends are people who confess to one another. And if you never return that favor, and if it's just always this one-way street, then you're not being a friend of that person. Because you're appearing as this kind of person who has it all figured out, and they're always just dumping on you. It may be something. Maybe it's kind of a mentor relationship or a pastor-parishional relationship, but it's not a friendship. Okay? Okay. Those kind of friendships take time, y'all, because as you're realizing this is heavy, like, man, (laughs) this is hard. Those kind of friendships take time, and I would even suggest you cannot be friends at this level with everyone you know. There, There necessarily will be gradations in your friendship. There will be some people that you're very open and honest with, I hope. And there will be some that are more casual. And that is okay. You shouldn't feel like you are under compulsion and necessity. To, hey, how's it going? Uh, look, um, I've been binging on porn for the last seven weeks. And you've got, got them out right there in front of Tyrrell Hall. Or like, look, I'm, I'm really, really, really struggling with this. Like, there is a time and a place for those conversations. It's just not with Everyone but i really hope it's with someone and if you don't have a friend like that i hope that you will pray and beg god that he would give you one at least one someone that you can be this kind of friendship you can have a friend with you can have a real friendship with second main point tonight what are some what are some hindrances to this because obviously this is hard so what things get in the way of this uh, there's so many things we could say about this. I'm just going to pick a few, and I'm just going to say them quickly. First is this idea of personal autonomy and freedom as our highest good, as what's most to be desired in this life. Uh, there's a guy named Wesley Hill, uh, and he wrote. he's written several books, but this is from a book of his called Spiritual Friendship finding love in the church as a celibate gay Christian. Um, He himself uh, experiences same-sex attraction, and he is trying to follow Jesus in that. And so he, in this book, is documenting the difficulties of that. And he says this, It's the myth of what we might term simply freedom, the myth that the less... The less encumbered and entangled I am, or the less accountable and anchored I am to a particular relationship, the better I am able to find my truest self and secure real happiness. This myth is so ingrained in our imaginations, I suspect that it may undergird and nurture all the other myths that we believe. And it's not hard to see how it strikes at the root of true friendship. If your deepest fulfillment is found in personal autonomy, then friendship, or at least the close kind I want to recommend, is more of a liability than an asset. What's he saying? He's saying that if you are someone who prides yourself on on being able to kind of be your own person and to, to be strong and to be independent, to go it alone, to not need others He's saying you're the one who's going to suffer in that. That kind of desire for personal autonomy and freedom and to, to keep yourself separated and confined from real, deep, meaningful relationships is only going to hurt you. That's a hindrance to friendship. Another thing is the costliness of friendship. If you look on the front page of the handout right there, and a couple of those poets pick up on this in those things and what they're saying. We all want deep friendships. But the work of being a friend, as we're seeing and hopefully understanding, is difficult. It's costly. It will, it will take something of you to be a real friend to someone. Thirdly, shame. i only mention this. we we'll talked about it a few weeks if you want to listen to it. Um, shame produces this cyclical thought which says this, I'm not a good friend. I've never been a good friend. Therefore, I will never be a good friend, nor will I ever have good friends. And the way that shame works is it becomes a self-fulfilling thing. If we believe that about ourselves, that's who we are, it will begin to be true about us because it sends us into isolation. It sends us into hiding. We don't let anyone into those parts of our lives. And fourthly right here, and this is a big one. This is one I want to, we're going to touch on in the future, but I'm going to come back, I'm going to start right now. This lie of the marital relationship or romantic relationship as being the all-satisfying relationship in this world. This is something which I have deeply bought into and which I did for a long period of my life, well into my marriage. And it was weird because my wife Sarah and I came to this point in our marriage where where we realized that we couldn't be everything for one another. And we were happily married. But we realized that even in this beautiful marriage that we have, beautiful meaning it's hard and we fight and all this stuff, but it's okay. Like, that's beautiful and it's fine. We could not be everything for one another. That even the best marriage means you still better have other friends and you're going to need other people. And I'm convinced that oftentimes the way that churches and, and maybe RUF, I don't know, not a lot of married folks in here, so maybe not, but oftentimes the way that the Christian community does its programs and, and organizes their ministries perpetuates this lie. And I think it's for that reason that a whole bunch of people, those who are single through choice, those who are single not by choice, and certainly those who struggle with same-sex attraction, because of this culture that's created within a lot of Christianity, they never... They never get the sense that they have an, an opportunity to flourish there because it feels like that the Christian life is only for, for couples and for families and for children and that everything about the church is organized and said, Hey, here's, here's, functionally, here's the message. Hey, God has a wonderful plan for your life, and it means getting married to someone of the opposite sex and having a, at least middle, a middle-income job, and then you'll go buy a house and have two and a half kids, and then you'll bring those kids to our church playground and play outside so it looks really cute so that more people like you will come and be a part. And for the person who that is not their narrative, that is not their experience in life, they look at that and say, okay, I guess that's not for me. I guess I can't belong there. I guess I need to go find community and relationships elsewhere. And so let me just encourage you for a second. Whether you are someone who uh, will be single and desires to, to live a single life for whatever reason, whether you are someone who will end up single uh, for reasons that will be very sad to you, or whether you're someone who yourself experiences same-sex attraction, I want to hold out to you that, that the gospel is calling Christians to do better at this. And I hope, one of my deepest hopes is that RUF can be a place where that begins in some form, or that it continues in some form. I hope you have felt welcomed here. If if any of those things are true of you, let me let you in on a secret of why being single doesn't relegate you to the B team in the Christian worldview. It's a big secret, y'all. So listen up. Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul was single. They never got married. They never had sex. God used them. And He can use you too. Do you believe that? Singleness is not sub-Christian. It's not sub-human. God will call some of you that way, and you have a place in the Christian community. Third main point tonight, the relevance of friendship. I'm going to get through these last two a little quicker. The relevance of friendship to romantic relationships. The true things I just said about singleness being important, the majority of you will long to be married or will end up being married. So let's talk about what friendship has to do with those kinds of relationships. The first thing right here, a guy-girl relationship. When it comes to the topic of friendship, this question comes up all all the time. Can a guy and a girl be friends? Can they be friends? Look. This tension is so apparent to everyone in the world that TV shows and movies, they've been making millions off of exploiting this tension, this awkwardness for decades. Ever since TV and TV shows were a thing. It's so apparent, it's so there, so what do we do with this? And you, you're going to think I'm wrong when I'm, when I'm telling you this, but I'm not. You're going to feel everything in you say, that's not true. But in seven years, you're going to come back to me and say, you were right. You're going to write me a handwritten letter and say, you're so wonderful. You're right about this. But you won't believe me right now. That's okay. Here it is. All close friendships. The operative word there is close. All close friendships between guys and girls are headed in one of two directions. Marriage or wounds. Marriage or woundedness. Here's how it works. That deep connection that you have with this girl that you have with this guy that you're just friends with, I know, you're just friends, trust me, I know. That you just stay up till four in the morning with, sharing everything about the most intimate crevices of your life with them, I know you're just friends. But the problem with that is that that kind of sharing and commitment, and it fosters intimacy. And one person inevitably... on on one side of that friendship, will begin to feel something more than friendship. And I know you're still going to tell the other person or tell me, we're just friends, I promise. But one of the people is going to feel that. And the reason and the way that you're going to know that is when one of them starts dating someone that's not that person. And all of a sudden, that, that friendship is weird a little bit. Like you're no longer sharing the most intimate things about you with this person. But if they were just a friend, you would be still, right? And certainly it would be weird for the other person who has got added to the mix if you were still sharing the most intimate things with your friend. And certainly, take it a few years down the road, if you get married, if I were still sharing deep things about my life with many women around me, with peers, people my age, or even with you guys, that would be weird. But, uh, you know, like, if I'm still doing that, my wife will rightly Be suspect of that. It's either moving toward marriage or toward woundedness, close friendships. Now, what I am not saying is this, that you can never have friends that are of the opposite sex. I'm not. That's stupid. I would never say that ever, ever, ever. But what I would say is this. Be wise about what you talk about. Because you end up being close to the people that you spend time with and share deep things with, period. That's who you end up getting close to. You think I'm wrong, but I'm right. We'll move on. Dating. What does friendship have to do with dating? Uh, My friend, uh, Matt Howell, who I mentioned earlier, says it this way. He says that... uh, (laughs) He has an obsession with hot sauce, and that is absolutely true. I went to college with him. He put it on everything, everything, weird stuff. He put it on hot sauce on it. But he says, you know, imagine that, that he's sitting down and eating pizza, which he puts a lot of hot sauce on. And um, he said, imagine that, that I sit down and I make a huge bowl of hot sauce and just put little bits of pizza in there and just start eating it. That's disgusting, and that's gross, and that's not a meal. That's weird. But what he suggests, and I think he's right on with this, is that friendships, when, when you date, the let me back up for a second. The best dating relationships, the best marriages are foundationally friendships. And so if that's true, how should we think about this? It means this, that you should have mostly friendship interactions, even with the person you're dating, with like little bits of romance sprinkled on like hot sauce. It shouldn't be that you have mostly romantic stuff and that you that you just are primarily drawn to each other in the way that you look, because that's how we all do it. And then you like try to build a friendship on the back end. It's like, oh my gosh, she is so hot. We've been dating for two months. Like, well, what's she like? Uh, she's so hot. <laughs> Or he's so wonderful, he treats he treats me so good, but he's so hot. And you're just obsessed with this. And then like four months in, you realize, well, we need to break up because he's a jerk. And I actually don't like him that much. Let me let the biggest cat out of the bag in the world on this, and this has a little bit more to do with marriage, is that friendship is at the heart of good marriage. Now, most of you, and I'm going to pick on the guys for just a second, although it's true of girls too, You think, maybe, that that marriage is just going to be this open-ended orgy sex fest with the other person. Okay? So there's 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 168 hours in a week. You are thinking that I can't wait to get married because all I'm going to do is have sex all day long and it's going to be amazing. On average, you will have sex for one hour a week. You better be friends with the person you're married to. If you're super sexual, you might have it for two hours a week. That's 166 hours of existing with another human. Y'all, you don't want to be married to them if you just think they're hot. There are going to be lots of other things you need to do in that relationship. Like, get along. Enjoy one another's presence. You know, live life together. Make babies. <laughs> pay bills. The best marriage is found on a, on a deep friendship. So when you think about dating, what's important? It's important for you to let your friends tell you what's true about your dating relationship. If all of your friends are saying he is not someone you should date, you should not date him. You are blinded by something. You should break up with him. If all of your friends are saying she is, she's using you, dude. She's just totally insecure and she's latching onto you because you make her feel good about herself then that may not be a relationship you should be in if all your friends are saying that. these people who love you are saying, get out of it, get out of it. So much more that could be said there. We'll talk about dating and marriage extensively coming up. Lastly here, the power for friendship. Where does the power to be this kind of real friend come from? Michael Scott, your hero and mine, uh, his overt mission in life is for you to like him. He moves out into the world functionally trying to get people to like him. That's what... That is the core of his existence. And in in an episode in season two, he has a bring your daughter to work day. Do any of you guys remember this? Um, Man, it's wonderful. And so, um, again, so much more. He doesn't want to be your boss. He wants to be your friend. And so on this day, he pulls everybody in the conference room, and he has everyone watching him in a video from when he was 10 years old. And as a 10-year-old, he is asked this question. He's asked about what his dream is, and he says this. My dream is to get married and to have a hundred kids so I can have a hundred friends so no one can say no to being my friend. And so here he is at 40, and he, the, the, the scene pans away, and he's sulking around the office because he realized that that's not true of him. That he so much wanted friends more than anything that he didn't have friends. And the reason why Michael Scott is so awkward and the reason why he doesn't have deep, real, meaningful friendships and the reason that you and I may not either is because what we're doing is we're functionally looking at the people around us and saying, will you define me? Will you be my everything? I need you so badly that functionally you are squeezing the life out of them and they disappear on you. Because you need them so badly, you're so insecure about what you're bringing to the table that you functionally kill them. And this is you and this is me, this is us. And we will never be good friends, and I would suggest we'll never have good friends until something happens in us to shore up that insecurity. Until something happens in us that makes us okay with who we are. And that makes us be able to move out into relationships and not look to everyone and say, you have to define me. You have to tell me I'm amazing. I need so much from you. It allows us to move out and say, I can love you. I can seek to serve you instead of begging you to serve me. So what is that? This is going to be no surprise for you. I want to suggest yet again that only in and through a relationship with Jesus Christ is that possible. What am I saying? Why would I say that? In John 15, Jesus says this. Greater love has no one than this. Meaning, there is no one that has greater love than this. That one would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I tell you. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you my friends. Look, y'all, Jesus lays down His life for His friends. The four characteristics we talked about earlier on, the, on point number one, the chosen commitment. Think about Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate friend. He chose to be your friend. He didn't have to. And He committed to you. Look at His friends, the people who were right around Him. Even when they were falling asleep and abandoning Him at the hour of His greatest need, He still went and died for them. He chose them. He committed to them even to the end. When you are hurting, when your friends are hurting, we don't always stay. Your friends don't always stay, but Jesus stays. He is the friend who sticks closer than a brother is what the Proverbs is saying. He is the ultimate friend who commiserates with you. He enters into into your suffering. In fact, he was called the man of sorrows. His whole life was taken up with sadness and with suffering for you. What about the third thing, confrontation? Look. Jesus is the ultimate friend. He sends the Holy Spirit inside of you to convict you and to draw out those parts of your lives, of your life that is moving you toward destruction. He's saying, hey, don't do that. And so you feel convicted and you feel guilty. And it's the arrow saying, go this way, not that way. And Jesus is the ultimate, sin, the ultimate friend in that He confesses His life. He was the total open book friend. He was everything to His friends. He was open with them. He shared with them. He didn't hide Himself from them. He didn't have sin to confess, but He's the only one in the world who never did. But instead of confessing sin, He took on your sin. Doesn't that free you up a little bit? In Jesus, you already have the friend that you long for. And when that becomes true for you, you become someone who can be a good friend. You you no longer demand everything from everyone because you have already found it in Jesus. And you can go and be something of a friend to the people around you. And the better friend you become, the better friends you will get. And the better friends you have, the better friend you'll become. And this becomes something of a beautiful spiral. Don't you want that to be true? It starts in Christ. Let's pray.